This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, January 4th, 2015. Back in the box. Well, good morning, Connection Church. Happy New Year. My name's Carrie Jones. That's not a very enthusiastic happy new year. Golly day. It sounds like we're outside in that rainy weather. Happy New Year! That's a little better. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you've made, a day that we get to hang out with you and with one another. So, God, settle us in. Help us really get a laser focus on you. Remove any distractions that we might be experiencing and lean into your will and your way for our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I get a call from my oldest daughter, Erin. She said, Dad, you got to play TC. I said, what? She says, you got to play Monopoly with TC. You see, our children had gathered for an evening of games and they had this monster uh, Monopoly game. And um, my son-in-law, TC, emerged victorious. Not just victorious, he had destroyed the competition, took no prisoners, and completely controlled the game, okay? And so my children wanted me to play TC because apparently he and I share a similar approach to game playing. Anybody surprised? And that approach is that you play to win. Can I get an amen from at least one? Amen. I thought I was alone there. Okay. And you know, When you play to win, you do everything possible, short of cheating, of course. Everything possible to win the game, amen? Come on. You guys don't play to win? Oh, my goodness. Sound like Carrie now. Yeah, no, I'm feeling it. Sound like Carrie now, the most competitive person I know. (laughs) All right, so there's a pastor, and he's an author, and his name is John Ortberg. And he talks about his grandmother, who had a similar approach to game playing as Alan and TC. She played to win. Can you say win? Win. Okay, so when I do this, that means win. Win. Thank you. She played to win. And so John, you're trying to control the game right now. See I that? Am. I am. So <laughs> this is how she worked it. If you were on her side in a game of cards, if you messed up, she just wouldn't have it. She was upset. Or if she was playing Chinese checkers against one of her grandchildren, she was not a soft touch. She was not one of those who would purposefully lose to help her grandkids feel good about it. Amen that. (laughs) I get it. I played my grandson Jacob the other day in checkers. Y'all know Jacob? He's about five. He's only five. He's a stomping five-year-old. And and so he, um, first he wanted to play chess. I said, why don't we start with checkers? And I think we'd played once before. So we get out the checkerboard, and as he's moving, I'm teaching him how to play, and I'm telling him what moves, and he'd make a move that wasn't going to be in his best interest even though he'd already take his hands off the, you know, the guy. I let him put it back. In fact, encouraged him. And I didn't jump him until I absolutely had, you know, no choice. I didn't double or triple jump. It was usually, I made sure it was the one, if at all possible. I helped him, I'm learning, helping him to learn the game. 
That being said, when he finally beats Poppy, it'll be a true victory. Because I'm not going to be a soft touch, even for little Jacob. Even for little Jacob, he's going to have to come to you for that. Because when he wins, I want him to know that he really won. Is there anybody that I can get an amen on that from? Oh, goodness. All right, well, let's talk about Monopoly now. (laughs) Monopoly. There are some valuable life lessons in the game of Monopoly. Perhaps one of those important life lessons is that you cannot always play it safe. In Monopoly, you have to take some chances. All right, so you get your money, $1,500, and if you hold that money, like play it safe, then you'll just end up with 1500 I mean, it's really tempting to hang on to it, to keep it. But the trouble is, if you do that, you will never win. You never win Monopoly you with 1500 bucks. You will never win that game. So you have to start shelling out the money to buy houses and hotels, gain property after property, <coughs> maybe even be <coughs> risky at times, mortgaging property in order to purchase more. So the goal in Monopoly is to be the master of the board. To be the master of the board. And when you're master of the board, you own so much property that nobody can hurt you. John Ortberg says this. When you are master of the board, you're in control. Other players regard you with fear and envy, shock and awe. From that point on, it's only a matter of time. She doesn't sound like a soft-touch grandmother, does she, all of a sudden? You know, there's another life lesson, perhaps the greatest life lesson we can learn from Monopoly or from, from any of the other board games, and that's this. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. All the houses, all the hotels, all the property, even if you had Boardwalk and Park Place. You know, the railroads, the utilities, and all that money, it all goes back in the box when the game is over. And the thing is, we don't want it to go back in the box. We don't want that at all. We want to savor the victory. We want some kind of reminder of those who played against us that we were in control, that (laughs) we were the master of the board. We had all the property, all the houses, all the... Hotels, all that money. You want a little plaque, don't you? Yeah. Up on the wall there. Well, this author, uh, John Orberg, that we speak of, he wrote a book called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. It's a great book. My small group just did a Bible study on it. It's also on Right Now Media. Great small group thing. But anyway, he talks about a time after finally beating his grandma. Now, how bad is that? Finally beating his grandmother, after years of trying, he said this, I wanted the thrill of winning to be my perpetual companion. (laughs) I was so heady with victory after all those years that for a few moments, I lost touch with reality. (laughs) How true is that with real life? How easy is it when we start winning, start having success, finding things going our way, maybe after some challenges, how easy it is to get so focused on the winning, on the succeeding, that we kind of lose touch with reality, can lose touch with some of the really important things in life, allow them to get shortchanged, things like relationships and the time we spend, time with our spouse, 
time with our kids, time with our friends, other relatives, but most importantly, our time with God. Well, in this book, Orberg shares that playing the game isn't bad, and it's not even bad to be good at it. It's not bad to win, to be master of the board. But there's always more property to be acquired, more houses to buy, more hotels to get, more money to be made. How much is enough? How much is enough? Just like real life, isn't it? And if we're not careful, we get lost in all of that, and we forget to ask what really matters, what's most important. And if we're not careful, we race around that board collecting all that we can, trying to, you know, get everything. And what we end up with are shallow relationships, chaotic schedules. We end up with souls that are focused on anything but what they should be focused on, which is who they should be focused on, and that is God. That's real life. It happens. And the thing is, the stronger we are and the smarter we are, that doesn't keep us from this fate. In fact, sometimes I think it's a liability because we think we're smarter, we can outsmarter, we're stronger. We can even make it more. And it just ends up imploding. It really does, because when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And sometimes we get to thinking that the game will, um, will never end. Sooner or later, the game always ends, doesn't it? Sooner or later, the game's over. Other people keep going. Some are just getting started. But the day will come for each and every one of us when things are going to stop. Things are going to stop. And the question is, as Ortberg points out, did you play wisely? This is what he says. We all want God, writer Aunt Lamont, Anne Lamont writes, but left to our own devices, we seek all the worldly things, possessions, money, looks, power, because we think they will bring us fulfillment. But this turns out to be a joke because they are just props. And when we check out of this life, we have to give them all back to the great prop master in the sky. They're just on loan, they're not ours. Say the last line with me, will you? They all, go, all back go back in the box. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says about this. If you have your Bibles, your smartphones, or the words are on the screen, but we're focusing right now on Luke. It's in the second half of the Bible. It's a gospel, it's about the life of Jesus and his ministry. And Jesus focuses on this theme, but he doesn't use monopoly or the game analogy. Instead, he uses a parable. He speaks in a parable. That is a, a short story that shares a larger or broader human truth. So here's what happens in chapter 12 of Luke. There's a large crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus, so large that they were trampling upon one another. Someone in the crowd wanted Jesus to intervene in a family dispute, and they were requesting Jesus to tell this brother to divide the inheritance with him. Jesus said that it wasn't any business of his to interfere, 
And then he warned the crowd that it would be important that they should be very careful, they should guard against greed, all forms of greed, that life is not defined by what you have or what you don't have, but, but by what you have, even if it's a lot. And then he told them this story. Hmm. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an, yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what, what shall I do? I, I have no place to store my crops. And, and then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. We do not think that this parable is meant to say that we should not plan for the future. We believe that we should. We don't believe that Jesus is telling us to not set something aside for tomorrow for a rainy day because that's very important to do. But what he is saying to the crowd that day is that we cannot, we should not allow our possessions to possess us. We should not allow our stuff to be the center of our attention. That what we own cannot completely occupy us. As we said just a couple of weeks ago, we can only have one number one. I'll say that again. We can only have one number one. Will it be our stuff or will it be Jesus? You know, Jesus often spoke on this topic Reminded of the story that many of you are familiar with, we it's often shared, the story of the rich young man who, who asked Jesus what he had to do to gain eternal life. And, and, and when Jesus' response included that the young man must, should sell all that he had and give it away to the poor and then, then come follow him, the young man went away sad, the scripture tells us, because he had a lot. You know, as we read the books about Jesus, about what he said, what he did, in the first part of the New, New Testament, the second part of the Bible there, the books written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that, that approximately 10% of what Jesus talked about had to do with money and possessions. One out of every 10 verses he spoke had to do with that topic. Isn't that amazing? And it usually focused on not letting them become our focus, not, not allow them to become the center of our lives, not become, allow them to become the God of our life. Paul, who wrote much of the rest of the New Testament, letters to various churches and to individuals, he wrote a letter to his mentee, a young guy named Timothy. And this is what was uh, in part of that letter. He said, for the love of money... Say it with me, will you? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So money in and of itself is not bad. It is not evil. Money is a means of exchange. Money can be used for good, absolutely. 
but it's the love of money. I'm going to say that again. The love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Money can be used for some really horrible things, for uh, drug trafficking, human trafficking, extortion, all kinds of really, really bad things money can be used for. But assuming that none of us are involved in all that kind of stuff, the trouble is, is that when we, in our everyday life, allow money to become our central focus, and it's easy to happen that we get really focused on that, what happens is that we begin to shove God aside. And God does not remain where God needs to remain, which is at the top, and money takes over. It is forgetting that at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. No matter what the game is, no matter who's playing, because in the game of life, it all goes back in the box. Mm. This whole thing's a, about a whole lot more than just money and possessions. It's about who's going to be master of the board. That's the object of monopoly, right? To be master of the board. As we said before, that's how you win. Because if you're master of the board, you control the property, which means the people pay your rent, which means you can control more property. And it goes around and around and around until finally you win because you mastered the board. Master of the board wins in monopoly, but not in real life. People sometimes think that if they're master of the board in real life, they're in control, that they're the winners, but, but that's not true. We only win when the master of the board in real life is Jesus Christ. See, it's only when we turn things over to him, when we put him kind of in the driver's seat, when Jesus is truly the master, it's only then that we can really win in that game. So we've had it both ways in our life. We've had times when we thought we were the master of our board. We went to church, we knew who Jesus was, even claimed that Jesus was the Lord over our lives. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, which we are, you know, all the time, I hate when I say that, to be perfectly honest, because we're always honest. To be perfectly not honest. Yeah. Does make sense. Anyway, we still believed that we were in charge deep, deep down. We were in control, or so we thought. So it was our money so we decided how to spend it. It was our house, so we decided how to use it. They were our children, so we decided how to raise them. It was our marriage, so we decided how we should treat one another. We managed, we got by, things seemed pretty good. Most of the time. Most of the time. Sometimes. But, but the truth <laughs> is, we were really just surviving. We were not living the way God wanted us to live. We were surviving rather than thriving, which is what God wants for each one of us. And so with time, we've gotten closer and closer and closer to Christ. And um, the way that has come about is we've been able to turn over more and more and more of our lives, of ourselves, to Jesus. And, and how does that work? Well, it came about by us realizing that things were better when Jesus was master of the board rather than Alan and Carrie thinking they were. And so we came to realize that the money we had was his, not ours, 
And so we looked to him for how to manage it, for how to use it. And we realized the house we lived in that we were blessed with was his and not ours, and so we looked to him for how to run that household, care for that house. We, uh, we came to, to realize that our children that we've been blessed with were truly his, not ours, and then so we looked to him on how to raise them. And that one, for me, was the hardest. And we came to realize that even our marriage was his and not ours, so we looked to put him in charge of that, knowing that he would do a much better job managing that than we were doing. And so step by step by step, and, 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 and Jesus became master of our board. It took a lot of prayer, asking God for the strength and the courage and the trust to just let go and let God. It took reading our Bibles more, getting to know this guy Jesus better so that it became more of a personal relationship with him. It was seeking the power of God's Holy Spirit, learning what our spiritual gifts are, and then using those spiritual gifts for God's glory so then we could see God in action, truly in action in our lives more and more and more, day by day by day, step by step by step. And with each step, <coughs> our lives have gotten better, have gotten better. Not perfect, long way still for, till perfection. And sometimes we revert back and have to, some of those old things we have to go back and, you know, we, we reach back to the old way of doing business. We've got to be reminded that Jesus is in charge. The thing we do know is we're not finished. God's not finished with us yet. He got a lot of work still to do. Still some areas that we need to turn over, some we need to quit going back to. But we're working on that day by day by day, step by step by step, prayer by prayer by prayer. So we always ask a question at the end, and here's the question for you this morning. Who's the master of your board? Who's the master of your board? Who's in charge of your life game? Is it you? Well, if it is, how's that working for you? Is it someone else? Is it something else? Is it your stuff? Is it your job? Who's in charge? Well, if it's Jesus, then what is there that still needs to be turned over to him? What nook and cranny, because we all have them, we all have more of ourselves that we can keep giving to Jesus. What are you hiding or holding on to or hoarding? What is it? What's going to happen when the game is all over? Because the truth is, Actually, I want to pray, okay? God, um, we pray for that situation, the cause of the whistle. Thank you for those who are responding. Please keep them safe. Keep everybody safe on the road. And we ask your hand, your provision for whatever the situation is, that there's no uh, loss of or injury of person or of property. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is it that you have to give him? What are you holding on to? 
What are you clinging to? What's going to happen when the game's over and everything gets put in the box? The question is, who's the master of the board in your game of life? Mm. You know, when Jesus was getting close to the end of his life, he had a um, kind of an executive board dinner meeting with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. You know, it was the last time that he would be sharing a meal with them. Be the last night that he would have time with them because he was going to be crucified. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.